0: Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of WTF Interviews. My name is Sir Roy Spialis with my uh, prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. How's it going, my brother? Doing well, man. How you doing? Ah, man, no complaints over here. It's trying to get a little hot in Chicago, but that's okay. Oh, yeah. We some AC, We're good. <laughs> All right, but also we have a special guest, uh, Kareem Watson. How's it going, my brother? Going well. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming, man. Thanks for joining us. So, uh, what uh, can you tell the people what do you do professionally?
1: Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. So, um, I'm a research scientist. Um, I do cancer disparities research. So, my work primarily looks at cancer prevention and control, trying to understand why people, what makes people get screened, what are some of the barriers to people getting screened, and how can I improve the screening rates by by working with community partners and community stakeholders. I also am a healthcare administrator and I'm the um, associate executive director of the miles square health center and miles square is a group of community health clinics And a group of community health clinics are called federally qualified health centers or FQHCs for every, um, they're often shortened to, and they're basically federal federally funded clinics that are in the hearts of most communities.
2: So how did you get like involved in, in, in that type of work?
1: Yeah, so two two ways. The way I got involved, both as a cancer disparities researcher and a healthcare administrator, is really based on my my lived experience. You know, mm-hmm. um, what brought me to the table when I was very young, about six or you know, six years old, six years old. My my birth mother actually died from breast cancer, and so I was exposed to you know those questions that all kids ask all the time. And um, um, I had an amazing father. And, but when I was an undergrad, he was diagnosed with colorectal cancer and called me home to, um, but we caught it early, but still he had diabetes and colon cancer. And, you know, he he went on to live a, a, a really good life after that. But later on, the complications of the surgeries that he had and the diabetes, he ended up passing away. So I wanted to make sure that I, I, I kind of use my own lived experience as to, you know, why is there so much? Lack of access, lack of awareness um, when it comes to getting screened for cancer, even when it comes to cancer research, better understanding how our lives, how what we eat, where we live, what we think, and all that, how that impacts cancer. Um, is something that's always just really fascinated me. And so that's how I, I got involved in cancer research. And the way I be- got involved in healthcare administration was that um, I remember moving to Chicago about 20 years ago. And you know, this is when we didn't have the big affordable care acts, we didn't have, you know, insurance like we have now through the um, the marketplace. And I remember getting not being able to be on my parents' insurance anymore and needing to go to the doctor. And I found this community clinic. And I found that you can be seen at that clinic for free. And I didn't know that the concept existed. I knew about you know Cook County or Stroger Hospital, but I didn't know that there were clinics that, that operated that way. So now it's a full 180 moment. The clinic where I used to get my care when I couldn't afford it, I now am the associate executive director of that clinic. That's
2: cool. That's cool. So, can you talk? About, can you um, talk about um, your dad and like how he impacted your life?
1: Yeah, my dad is. as so I said, I was looking in back because I have a picture behind my, and so I'm, I'm sitting in my office, and I have to the right, I have a picture of my dad when he was younger in the military, and to the left, I have a picture of my dad when he was older. Um, I'm one of the, I'm I'm one of nine kids. I'm the youngest of nine. Mm -hmm. And, um, we actually are the Black Brady Bunch (laughs) because after, after my dad, after my mom, my birth mother died when I was six, my dad got remarried when I was nine. And so, um, my new mom had three kids from her previous marriage and, um, but then, you know, her husband died. And so blended together, we became the Black Brady Bunch and there's nine of us. And recently, my brother put something on Facebook where he talked about his experience you know with his birth father and what that was like, but he talked about how our dad stepped in to to raise them and you know and made no difference between any of us. He was just an amazing man you know like he reminds me of most most black men though i this whole concept of you know the absent father and all that negative i didn't i didn't grow up knowing and understanding any of that because i'm from one of the small towns where if the dad wasn't in the home there was still a man in the community there was still someone some somebody in that community that acted that acted as a father figure to most of the kids in our, in our community area and i'm my dad was one of those father figures so
0: so break it down to me uh because i seen the brady bunch and i didn't understand the concept of a mixed family like that until I got like into my teenage years, like I'm watching the Brady Bunch all these years. Yeah, you know, finally, a haha moment, like oh, they they haven't been together the whole time, right? Like, half of the kids are with her, half are with him. Yeah, and they got married. So, how did that dynamic work with your family? Like, uh, you know, did you have a uh, closest, more closest with uh, your side
1: versus the other side, if you will? Oh. Well, oh. the the, the... The good thing is that I was smack dab at the end of both sides. So I kinda saw myself as almost like the glue, yeah. if you will, because I was the youngest. And there's a 19 year age difference between my oldest sibling and, and I. And so, you know, she felt, she was in a, a freshman in, high, in college when I was born, right? And so um the three oldest siblings are, are 18, 18, 17, and 16 years older than me. And so those feel more like your aunts and uncles, right? So growing up, you know, before my dad got remarried, I kind of felt almost like an only child a little bit because the, 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 the my sibling right above me is nine years older than me. Mm-hmm. And they're a set of twins. And so they had each other because they were twins, right? But it was just me. And I was that loud, smart mouth kid, you know, ask a whole lot of questions. The questions paid off in the end, but that don't work too well in the hood when you're growing up, right? And so, <laughs> and, um, and so I always wanted a younger sibling and a, and, a, and a brother. And so when we became the Black Brady Bunch, I had a sister that was just two years older than me and then a brother that was three years older than me. And so we went to elementary school together and then we eventually went to high school together. And so, you know, I grew up with that big brother and we all played sports. We all played football, basketball, and man track. And so, you know, having your brother that was ahead of you it really kind of set the tone for you. You know, it's being able to see him. And I even remember um, graduating from high school. My brother graduated from high school. He was valedictorian. And I just said, okay, that's what we do. That's what I'll do. And it kind of was just that simple, right? You know, if my brother did it, I can do it.
2: So, so can you talk like the, the initial meeting was, um, was everything always cool? Uh, no, not at all. No.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, the, we, we became the Black Brady Bunch, but I remember the first Christmas, because my youngest sister was used to being the youngest, uh, with, you know, with my mom, with her mom, and then I was used to being the youngest. And remember, you know, my mother had died, and so everybody was really trying to rally around me, make sure I was okay. That all translates to I was spoiled as I don't know what, right? And. And um, and also my, I was my dad's oopsie baby kind of because he was in his mid 40s when they had me. So he had me, he, <laughs> so he th- they thought they was done and then they had me. So that first Christmas was a transition. It really was. But what was also a transition and I didn't learn this until I went to college. I, I had never grieved my birth mother because you're a child, right? You don't know what grief is. And although my 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 new mom, because I don't use the word stepmom, although my new mom was an amazing parent and co-parent with my father, it wasn't until I went away to college that I felt this void in my life. I felt I, there was a gap that was missing. And I, I had this deep, deep sorrow and this this and it was grief. And it was grief. And so, and then like many teenagers, That grief has started showing up, but I didn't realize it around my junior year, my junior year in high school. And I started acting out, you know, I started talking back, you know, luckily my grades didn't slip and things academically didn't shift, but my attitude definitely got whack. And my dad had to check me. He had to check me. And for a little while, I actually went and lived with one of my oldest sisters because, you know, I had kind of gotten so, now I know it was grief, but back then it just felt like it was just anger. So how were you able to, like, overcome that? We're a very spiritual family. We grew up very religious. But I I say I grew up very religious, but then I became spiritual. Um, So part of it was my faith to kind of really do some inner work. But a lot of it was my dad, too, because I could have real conversations with him. Like, I could say, you know, at one point I was like, you know, I feel like you, you know, you, you invest in all your time in your marriage. You're not investing your time in me. And he was like, that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. I'm investing my time in my marriage. If I invest in my time in my marriage, that, that means I'm giving you a family union." And, I mean, and so he was, He was. the lessons with him weren't easy. They weren't, you know, real pretty and wrapped up in a bow. They came kind of tough, but you knew it was from a tough love place. And so I, I dealt, I also dealt with it through writing. Although I'm a scientist, I've, I've always loved writing. And I remember writing like a, um, a essay about it my freshman year in English in English composition class. And I, I sent that letter to my, my my biological sisters to have them read it. And they end up calling me and they were crying and apologizing and like you know we sorry. And I was like this was not a judgment. This was a release for me. But sometimes you know when you release your things, sometimes people feel like you're being critical of, of that process. And I said I'm not being critical. I'm just being honest. Yeah. Do you still
0: incorporate writing in uh,
1: your current process? I do. Um, I I feel like even every project that I have, it starts off with something that's written. Um, I write poetry. I write some some. A lot of people don't know this, but I do write some music every now and then. Um, because I'll, if I need a song to like encourage me, I'll I'll write it, and it, it's never been published, never been you know sung anywhere. They literally are just for me, and every now and then I'll share it with a couple friends. But um, writing is one hundred percent still a part of my process.
2: So, do you sing
1: for in the shower and by myself? <laughs> <laughs> I feel that's like cool. I'm writing. I feel like I'm writing songs for the people, and one day, who knows? You know, I might go to another career and and give my songbook to some folks. And be like, hey, sing. These. And I actually have had a friend of mine sing one of my songs before, and he really did it justice. That was cool. So you do like the hook and
2: everything, and it's a complete yes. song.
0: Oh, yes. Song. Song. So uh, take me back to uh, the transition from when your mother died up until your dad met your stepmom, what was the, how many years did that take? And uh, what was your dad like during that time? It
1: was three years. And um, it's really interesting you ask that because I would go on dates with him. And um, because we would be a package deal because remember, like I said, my other sibling was nine years older than me. So they were like 16 years old and they were twins. And I put a pin in that too, though, because I do think that they needed Something too, because they were they were at a really important age in their life. But but to your question, how was my dad like during those three years? We were like the like the the, the dudes that walk. You know, you couldn't tell me nothing. We'd be getting dressed for a date. Remember the cologne, Pierre Cardin and Halston, and and so he put on his cologne and I put on the same cologne. We walk into the restaurant smelling like we just left the, the store. Fresh fade. My dad believed in Stacy Adams back in the day. So he had on his Stacy Adams, I had on my little Stacy Adams. We suited down, we go into the restaurant and we have our date. And, and the one thing he did that he probably should not have done, he would ask me in front of them, how you like this one? I'm like-
0: one. Oh yeah, that's what gonna ask
1: you that. <laughs> like, this don't, this don't feel right. <laughs> he asked me how I like them. And um, and so it was just cool. It was just me and him and we would go, we would travel. Um, we He worked for a not-for-profit And I remember we had to go on a business trip to um, up north in Michigan. And um, it was the first time I saw folks skiing. And my dad always believed in exposing me to things. He never knew anything about skiing. He never knew and hadn't put on a set of skis in his life, but he wanted me to at least experience it. And Mm so those three years really set the tone for what the rest of our life would be like because it was just about us. And he really wanted to make sure that who he married was also a good fit for me Mm -hmm. as his youngest son. So what was your first impression of your stepmom? I liked her. My dad had a type though, so she was pretty, but you know, right. she was she, she kind of looked like my birth mom a little bit because my dad had a type. <laughs> 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 but the difference is, and I, I commend him, and he and I talked about this later on in life. She actually was, although aesthetically she looked similar from a personality and and behavior perspective, they were totally different. My mom was my birth mom was a homemaker, you know, cooked three meals a day, homemade biscuits, you know, a woman from the south, you know, sold clothes, loved really that homemaking piece. My new mom was a, a businesswoman, right? She was getting, you know, she had, a, she was graduated right from college and, you know, went to a an HBCU, and you know, was a part of organ, organization groups and. um, and she really made sure that we got exposed to things like mm-hmm. my new mom coming in, you know we were in the debutante the Bohelion, had etiquette classes, so she exposed us to different aspects of life so mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what would you
2: say would be your um, your greatest success so far in, in your career?
1: But my greatest success in my career, I think is probably helping out young people utilizing the platforms I get to open doors for other young people, particularly young black men that are scientists. Um, whatever grant I get, or whatever big project that I have, it's wonderful, but being able to create opportunities for those next generation of scientists, that's thats what allows me to say, okay, I think this is what God wants me to do. When When I can utilize whatever platform he's given me to open the door for somebody else. That's when I, that's what I feel success. Cause I think we all have egos, but my ego doesn't get fed by me, by people telling me I'm great or I do, you do great things or getting up. You know, that's wonderful, but I like to see legacy. Cause that's what my dad put in me. I like to see you utilize what you've been given to open the door for somebody else. Gotcha.
0: So now, um... Fast forward now. You're in the blended family, if you will. Like, um, take me through uh, that experience, like in regards to your father. So, how how did your father um,
1: parent the other children, the ones that weren't That's a good question. Again, I got to reference my brother because my brother and I, I, re, I went to, I went and had um, Father's Day with my brother who's actually not, not my non-biological brother, but, you know, we're extremely close. I spent Father's Day with him this Father's Day. And we were talking about it, and he said what our dad did that was so unique was that he parented each one of us as individuals. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a one-size-fits-all. He had the rules for his house. Don't get it twisted. His house had rules, but the way he parented was he, he took it on an individual basis. For example... There was a situation with my brother when 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 they first got married. Because remember, I was nine, so my my brother, one of my my brother, was about like eleven, no twelve when they got married. So Mm -hmm. he had been the man of the house, you know, because he was the only boy too, right? So he had been the man of the house with my with my mom, my stepmom, and so he wasn't used to having another man tell him what to do. Definitely wasn't used to having rules. And there was a situation where my, 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 my dad had us cut the grass and we had to do something and my brother didn't want to do it. And my dad was like, well, these are the rules of the house. This is what you do. You know, I got a job and y'all do too. Um, and so my brother was acting out and he, you know, and my dad, my brother ended up saying the way my dad chastised him because was a defining moment for him because he sat him down and had a conversation with him. He said, look, I know what you're used to doing but you're not used to being a child. You're not used to being a kid, and being a kid is actually a privilege and a blessing. And I'm giving you that privilege and that blessing to be a kid. You don't know, I can't say that you don't have that you won't worry about your mom because you always will because you stepped into that, but that's not your primary job. That's my job. And I'm going to do that job better than you, believe it or not. Yeah. And and so watch me. Watch me take care of your mom watch he said you don't have to believe who i am but you're going to watch me and when you see me you will be able to cease and if you're lucky you would do for your family what i'm going to what i'm about to do for ours Mm. and he had that conversation with my brother and it, it changed the dynamic um and and my dad also we would spend time and he would he would process things through with us he never told you what to do he always allowed you to come to a critical decision about what you thought you would do and what was right. You knew what he wanted you to do, but he didn't bring that to the table. He he, he brought critical thinking to the table, and it was up to you to make a good decision. would you it's going to be consequences to your decision, but he let you make the decision. So what
2: would be like the three biggest takeaways that you uh, got from your dad, or like the
1: three values that he instilled in his family? Number one was you have each other's back, that was, that was one value that, that, yes, you can have your individual success, and that's important, and you go and you, you do your own thing, but, you know, you, you should be a blessing to your family, You're, you know, if, if you've been blessed, and if you, and not in a burdensome type of way, and not in a way where you felt, uh, like, codependent or anything like that, but that your success can bless somebody else, yeah. particularly your family, that's one lesson you had, and Another lesson he had was for us was about spirituality, that to to really have a deep sense of self and to have a belief in something bigger than you. And although my dad started off very religious, we grew up Pentecostal, specifically apostolic. But later on in life, I even saw his arc and I saw him become more spiritually grounded than he was just religious because and and he would almost deconstruct religion for you. So we would go to Bible class and we would come home, we would talk about it. And he would be very critical of the Bible, very critical of of the way blacks were portrayed in America and the way religion, what role religion played in that. So that's the number two lesson I would say is uh, to have this deep belief, this deep spirituality in something that's bigger than you. And the third one I would say is to, uh, he had so many lessons, so it's hard to put him up in, into three um the the third one i would say is is about what's coming to mind for me right now is individuality he really didn't didn't want you to feel like you had to conform that you had to be like everybody else um he he made it okay for you to be you and for and to remind you that that uniqueness that you have is important to the space that you take up gotcha now um when we booked this call, I
0: asked you a question. He gave me a good answer. I want to kind of read it out loud and kind of get you to expound on it. Okay. Uh, the question is, what does fatherhood mean to you? And Kareem, your answer was guidance, protection, support, love. Real simple, real short and sweet. So, uh, yep.
1: give me some more. Uh, give me some more on that. you could elaborate on that a little bit more. Yeah, although I don't have my any biological kids yet. Um, I was talking to my godson who's teaching English as a second language in China right now. He's in a graduate program. And I, the, the word guidance came up because he was trying to navigate through some things. And I, I tried to do for him the same thing my dad did for me, just gave him guidance. I said, you know, this is how I would handle the situation. This is what, what I would do. But I also reinforced for him that everything he needed, he had within, within him. That he already had the answers to everything he needed to do. And that whatever he chose, whatever, however he chose to navigate the situation, I was here for him. And that I could, I, I, was, I would help create a safe space for him to fail. Because too often, Black boys, we don't have a safe space to fail, right? Because the, the world and society, our failures are taken different their take, the consequences are often higher. So we gotta change that narrative and create safe spaces for our boys and to grow into men and safe spaces for them to fail because failure is a part of it, right? Um, So that's where that guidance piece comes into that. Um, Protection is that you should feel safe. You know, it's too many people out there being predators of our children. One way from, and and that predator term goes in multiple different ways. It's not just, you know, physical abuse but it's, it's mental abuse, it's spiritual abuse. It's, it's all those types of things. And so you should feel protected. You know, I felt safe. You know, my dad was a big man too, but I felt like, you know, I felt like my home was a sanctuary. You know, when, when, when the world was not treating me kindly, I knew I could come home and I could feel safe. I would go up to my room and that's how I got into writing because I would go into that room and I would journal and write about things. And that he, cause he created our home was a safe space. And then love is just it's just that unconditional thing that he did for us. So uh, you're from uh, Louisiana? Are you from New Orleans? No, we're from Muskegon Heights, Michigan. We, I got a southern accent. My dad is from Arkansas, and my mom was from Mississippi. Okay, what part of Mississippi? Um, Amory and Smithville.
2: Okay, okay.
1: And yeah, Tupelo. Love,
2: oh, Tupelo? Okay. I always ask because my wife is from Mississippi.
1: So what part is she from?
2: Uh, Clarksdale. Okay,
1: I know Clarksdale. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, no, I only ask uh, if you are from Louisiana because you were talking about, uh, you said that your grandmother was from Louisiana? No, my aunt.
0: Oh,
1: your um, aunt, yeah. My aunt, yeah.
2: Okay.
1: Had some gumbo, so.
0: Right. Yeah, I cool. love Louisiana's, uh, Louisiana's uh, accent.
1: Everyone that's from Louisiana talks a certain way. Oh, they do? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and if you haven't seen this documentary called um, High on the Hog, I would definitely encourage you to watch it because it talks about food and culture. And when you go to Louisiana, you get that. You get, you know, the Creole. You get the influence of the Haitian immigrants there. You you, you feel all of that. Yeah, love. Um...
2: My wife went to went to Xavier, so okay. uh, yeah, I spent a little time
1: uh, down there. Yeah, a lot of my good friends. I'm sure we probably know some of the same people. If she went to Xavier. Yeah, possibly. What what school did you go to? I went to University of Michigan. Okay, okay. Cool. But you so, can't be in the sciences and not know black folks. If you if you're in the sciences, you know Xavier at one time produced more you know physicians, you know more pre med students than any other university at one time.
2: Yeah, she always says that. Um, I think yeah. she initially went there to uh become a doctor, but she changed up. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they have a good business program too. They have pharmacy and uh medicine, pre-med and pharmacy programs are excellent.
2: Yeah. Can you talk about your, your college uh
1: your college experience? Yeah. Um it was an experience. My first year, I wanted to leave. I tried to, because I got into Morehouse and my dad told me I couldn't go because they didn't offer me enough money. And so Michigan gave me a full ride my first year. Then I had to scramble to keep the scholarships my second and three, fourth year. Um, but it, it was a horrible experience my first year. I hated it. I wanted to leave. Um, it was one of the first times that I experienced uh, true, where I experienced racism because my dad wasn't there to protect me. Um, So I hated it. I did not like it. But then a switch went off. Um, I realized that I could make the best out of it. And I started, it became this learning environment for me, literally. Um, I, You know, because something happened after that freshman year going home. Um, I did really well my freshman year, but I didn't do well emotionally and socially, right? I was miserable. I wanted to be, I came from a town that was 95%, 99%. African American, like I said, you know, um, my my teachers were black, my principals were black, our mayors were black. You know, your police chief is black, your pastor, your church, and then you go to University of Michigan. You, it was like a culture shock.
2: culture shock. Yeah,
1: and I'm also used to black people telling you what you can do and rooting for you. Mm. And so to go to a non, to go to a a, a predominantly white institution where everything was about this competition. That didn't jive with me. That that wasn't the way my spirit connected. I'm, I'm about community and all ships rising with the rising tide. So this concept of competition wasn't one that I was cool with. So, but what I did is I learned to create community. So I got active in the Black Student Union. Um, I got active in student organizations in the Black Pre-Med Club. I got active in um, but then I did something that really changed my, my life and I studied abroad. So mm-hmm. I went to I got a study abroad scholarship and I ended up going to France and England for the first, first abroad experience and it was a, it changed my life because it was the first time I was seen as privileged. Because when I was studying abroad, you know, they assumed that a black american abroad either a has money or you have some type of privilege. that was the first time I learned that privilege was more than just about money that's when I learned that an experience can get you privilege as well and it opened my mind up that was the first time you know I started seeing black bricks right you know um you get it but I had been reading about these people all along I had taken classes I had learned about Josephine Baker and when she went to Paris I, I read about you know James Baldwin when he went to Paris and and others but to, to be there and to experience it. Cause it was one point I was like, I could be sitting in a similar cafe where James Baldwin was actually sitting, right? And it changes your mindset. It gives you this global consciousness um, that really changed me. And, it, and I, I got a thirst for, to learn more about the world. And I came back and the next study abroad experience I had was to the University of the West Indies. Um, I studied abroad in Jamaica. And that changed my life because that gave me a sense of culture. And it was the first time I had a spiritual experience, not a religious experience, but that's when I began to understand the concept of culture and ancestry. Because I was walking to class at the University of the West Indies, and I was walking past this mango field, and um, the ground felt sacred. And I took my shoes off. I never had anything happen like this before, but I took my shoes off. And I remember calling my dad, and I was like, "Do we have West African ancestry? You know, did are we from Jamaica?" And he was like, "No." And I, because I was something felt familiar about that to me, and so that opened me up to understanding culture, understanding our ancestors, and and our spiritual connectedness to the earth. So those experiences. I got because of where I went to the institution I went to, and so it was really an amazing. And then I met some amazing friends too, who I'm still friends with to this day. That was cool.
2: So, like, where would you? Um, how would you describe yourself culturally? Like, what do you identify as? Black. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> Period. Period. Um, I identify as African American, Black. um, yeah, but it's it's I, like I was saying before, I grew up with this sense of pride from a culture, from a culture perspective mm-hmm. that is really, um, I don't know how to describe it, but it happened in my community growing up, right? You know, we had this sense of pride and culture about everything that we did. Yeah. And you were just, you were proud of your heritage. And you grew up seeing Black people doing a myriad of things. You know, I grew up with a cousin that, you know, was, you know, a dentist, but I also grew up with a cousin who had, you know, drug, you know, addiction to drugs. Right. Yeah. And my dad would make sure that you didn't judge either the dentist didn't get put on a higher platform than the cousin who had an addiction. That was just a person who had an addiction. Mm. And but by the grace of God, you know, there's, both situations could change. And so when you grow up with that sense of value, it, it teaches you to value the human spirit. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, the
2: reason why I ask is because I I feel like black culture encompasses everything. So you really can't say like what black culture is or isn't.
1: Yes, I agree. It's American culture because, you know, it's you know, it's if you think about what we our ancestors did and sacrificed to build this to build this country. You know, it, it, it's 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 we're everywhere. You can't yeah. look at architecture and not see us. You can't look at food and not see us. You can't look at science, the arts, or humanities and not see us. We are everywhere,
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: and in everything. Yeah. yeah. So we're
2: uh, we're getting close to time. So um, I have one last one last question. So, like, when you know everything is said and done, uh, what would you want? the people closest to you to say about you? How would would you want them to describe you?
1: When everything was said and done, what I would want people to say about me was that um, he loved generously. He gave from a pure space. Um, He gave of everything he had from a pure space and that he created a space for people to feel safe, authentic, loved, protected and supported and, and guided. Um, yeah.
0: And I also have one last question for you, uh, Kareem. Uh, if you had to give any advice to any any dad out there, uh, what advice
1: would you give to him? Look at your son, look at that child, whether it's a son, a daughter or, or whatever, look, look at them and and don't try to relive your life through them but look at them as the gift that they are and create a, create a space for them to self-actualize into the, the brightest and the most amazing thing they could be. And, and, and understand that your job is to be a guide for them. It's you, the art has already been created. You're just there to create the space for the art to be displayed. That child came to you with everything it needs to be brilliant, it's already inside of them. But as a father, you are there to create a space to make sure that, that 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 light that you see when they're a baby, that dim in their eye, that it never goes out. This picture I have behind me is a black artist named Triple Black. You know, that little twinkle in that little girl's eyes, that's something that should never go out.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask you about that art. That's a, that's a nice piece of art.
1: <laughs> now, uh, was your dad into art? He was, he was. Um, he didn't know he would, I remember it was an artist at our church and he he went and he said he didn't like anything that she had. So he had a piece commissioned by her. He didn't know anything about commissioned art. He just said, hey, I wanted to have a piece of artwork done. But you know, but I've always been kind of fancy. And so I was like, dad, we got some art commissioned. He was like, what does that mean? I was like, when you go, this is what you did. You commissioned some artwork. So yeah, he was into art. He he would see a piece and he it would catch his eye and, and, and he would know it. Like there was this piece with the banjo player that made this a popular print. Um, my dad saw that and we had it in um, our living room. We had Art of the Buffalo Soldiers in the living room and none of it went together. <laughs> like it just was all, <laughs> all hodgepodge. But if he liked it, he hung it on the wall. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> well,
0: all right, well, yeah, Kareem, uh, thanks for thanks for joining. Thanks for your candor. I, I will say uh, we've been shrink- shrinking along a, a few Hall of Fame episodes. Dr. Young, where would you put this man? Would you hang it in the rafters, or, or, or where would you put it, man? Yeah, it's a hall of famer. Hall of famer, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another one. <laughs> all right, so yeah, for hall of Fame episodes, we, we plan on getting people back for part two because I think uh, I think there's there's more to your story, uh, Kareem. It's definitely uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, people got a lot of value from this, so I, I do appreciate
1: you for it. I appreciate you, brothers, and everything that y'all doing to create spaces like this, but our voices are so different. I'm happy y'all created spaces for those us to be heard. Thank you. Yep, indeed. All right, so yeah, for myself, for Sir
0: Priales for, for Dr. Raheem Young, and for, I'm going to say, Dr. Kareem Watson. We gotta put some respect on these brothers, names. <laughs> Thanks for listening to WTF interviews, and stay tuned for further announcements. Yes, yes, Sir Royce here. And I want to thank you again for listening to WTF interviews. Leave a review as it helps more people like yourself receive the message. Also, consider donating to Welcome to Fatherhood. It's a nonprofit that myself and Dr. Raheem Young created to help dads showcase their superpowers to the masses. You can do that by going to WTFatherhood.org. Again, gratitude and be well. You already are.